Good morning, church. It's an honor to be with you this morning. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. If you're a visitor, it's truly an honor that you've decided to be with us this morning. If you're a regular attender here at our Forever Family, welcome back. This morning we're starting a new sermon series called Summer Trips. And in my life, I just passed a big, huge, gigantic, emotional milestone. Our oldest uh, child, my firstborn son, is uh, six years old, and last week he celebrated his kindergarten graduation. And I, it is hard to get me moved to the point of tears, but it's like just the atmosphere in that building just broke me down. And um, it was it was beautiful. It was a challenge to get through. But now I kind of feel like I'm back in school again. And I get a summer break. Don't have to get up at 6 to get the kids to school. Don't have to help anybody with schoolwork. Don't have to worry about packing lunches or routines or any of that stuff. So it's definitely time in my life, and I'm certain it's probably time in yours, where you're planning some uh, travels and getting some ideas on on things to do over the summer. What we're going to do for the next few weeks is we're going to show you how the, the people of Jesus' day and throughout Scripture were doing things in their recreational time and in life similar to things that we do. And in life, uh, just like we're going to find in Scripture, there are often moments in the everyday that make things more extraordinary. And so our hope is over this series, you'll look more closely at the things you're doing day in and day out, and especially over this summer, as opportunities to learn and to grow closer to uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. First message in this series is called, Let's Go Fishing. And in Luke chapter 5, in verse 1, the Bible says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. 
I want to do two things this morning. The first thing I want to do is talk to you a little bit about the disciples themselves. Remember, this series is kind of about taking average, ordinary, everyday experiences and using them as opportunities to learn and to grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And often when I'm reading Scripture, my my thinking is that these guys are more talented and capable of getting close to Jesus than I am. And so the first thing we're going to do is talk a little bit about who these disciples were and what was it that made them so outstanding or extraordinary. And then we're going to talk about what they did that allowed this particular moment to be pivotal in not only their lives, but the church and the lives of ultimately all of us throughout the spans of time. So the first thing I want to talk about is how these guys were really average anybody's. They were really average in every single sense of the word. John MacArthur wrote a book called Twelve Ordinary Men. And in the book, talking about the outstanding nature of the uh, twelve apostles, ends up saying the most outstanding quality about these regular guys was their ordinariness. There wasn't anything particularly significant or outstanding about any of them. As a matter of fact, if you'd look over Scripture, you'd find that these guys, just like us, were actually pretty prideful, arrogant guys. In Luke chapter 9, verse 46, the Bible says that an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be greatest. It was these guys who were actually arguing which of them was going to be best in God's kingdom or first or greatest. Not only were they prideful, but they were also problematic. They were a very doubtful group of individuals. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30, the Bible says uh, and records the words of Jesus here, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is here again talking to these same group of people about their lack of faith. We also learn that they're powerless in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The Bible records the Spirit of God coming to this same group to empower them to begin the church as we know it. And without the Spirit, they're just like us. They're powerless. So not only are they very regular, these are average, regular guys, they also demonstrate that they're runaways later in life. In Matthew 26:56, the Bible says all this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then what did the disciples and these guys do? They desert the Lord Jesus and flee. In the face of adversity, in other words, these guys handle those situations like lots of us. There's a measure of fear. There's a measure of doubt. There's a measure of insecurity and even a lack of confidence that with these guys is so great, despite being close to Jesus, despite seeing the miracles of Jesus, despite seeing the power of the Lord working in and through our Lord Jesus, they run away at the first sign of adversity. Okay, so maybe their redeeming quality is that they're so experienced in ministry and leadership that they're just the obvious choice for Jesus in who he's going to decide to grow his church up with. And that's not the case. If you read Luke chapter 6, when Jesus actually names the 12, what we know at that point in time is they've probably had about 18 months 
of training under the Lord Jesus. That's less than half the time it would take a current human being to, to get an MDiv degree, which is the basic preaching degree. So these guys weren't even halfway as, as well trained as we require ministers to be trained in today's culture to have the opportunity to lead in ministry. They were average. There was nothing exceptional about these guys. Let's pick up in verse 4 and talk about their achievements, which, by the way, were also very average. In verse 4, the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, When he, being Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. These guys weren't even significant in their employment. They weren't talented. They weren't smart. They weren't very well connected. They were working a job that anybody with any motivation and a little bit of effort could find themselves employed in. There wasn't any significance to their employment. What, was their, what, what, what employments do we know of in terms of the way that the apostles were employed? Well, four of them we get right here. There were four fishermen. Who were those? Simon, Peter, and Andrew, brothers, and James and John, also brothers. Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, was a tax collector, and Simon the Zealot was a political activist. The other employments of all the different apostles, we don't have a good sense of what they're about. The thinking of most theologians is that the why, as to the reason they're not mentioned, is likely they're even less significant than these, which are not significant at all. Let's talk some not about their employment, but instead about their effort. These guys, according to Peter's response to Jesus, had been working hard all night. And this, for me, is where the story starts to hit home. These guys knew what it was like to have to live through a really long night. And you're saying, Trent, how do you know that it was a long night? I'll... I'll do a five-minute uh, illustration, maybe less than that, maybe two, because I'm going to talk to you about my fishing experience, which are limited at best. So how do I know it was a long night? I've been fishing about four times in the last probably ten years, and three of those four times were with a guy who helps facilitate our Fishers of Men ministry, and his name is Chad Johnson. And so this is a person who's probably about as good of a fisherman as I am, but's got as much commitment to the fishing uh, experience as these guys did. All the enthusiasm, not a whole lot of the talent, okay? And please take the opportunity to tell him I said that if, he's, if you see him today. So we go out and he asked me to come out uh, fishing with him, and I'm from Kansas originally. And there are these things in Louisiana called hoop nets. I would like to see a show of hands. Who knows what a hoop net is? See, it's a Louisiana thing. If I was anywhere else in the U.S., probably a fraction of you would have raised your hands. Ninety percent of you raised your hands. So for somebody who doesn't know anything about hoop nets, like to get a hoop net from the bottom of a river or a body of water into the boat is like just shy of brain surgery. Seriously. You toss this weight out in the water, and you got to drag it back like five or six times. At one point in time, I actually think I hooked a tree. 
and would, would try to yank this thing out in the boat, would dip in, dip down in the water and they're giving me a hard time. Like, you're a big burly guy. You can't even lift that five pound weight out of the water. Then you get the hoop net and it actually, when I was pulling this out of the river, came down over the top of me. <laughs> Had I fallen into the river at that moment in time, I promise you I would have drowned. All right, so by the time we get that first hoop net done, I'm finished. That took me like an hour, all right? That was the longest, one of the longest hours in my life. That's how I know these guys had a long, hard night, because they were at this all night long. I only had uh, stamina for one hour. But why else does this hit home? Man, have you ever been in a really difficult season in life where night after night after night just seemed really long and really difficult, where you had to confront your own humanity and your own lack of effort and lack of discipline and your own fear, and there was a problem bigger than you that you didn't feel like you had a good answer for, that you were hoping and praying might change, but night after night, minute after minute, hour after hour, change didn't happen. And you just felt lost and discouraged and isolated and miserable. That's certainly to some extent how these guys were feeling this morning. They come in from having fished all night and not just fishing all night leisurely, but for them it was work. They were putting effort into supporting their families, supporting themselves, supporting their community. We don't know who all depended on their efforts, but what we know is Peter says, we worked all night and we worked really, really hard And did their effort yield anything? Was their experience of value? Based on this account, the answer is no. Despite our best efforts, despite the long night, despite feeling like we've worked till our, till our bodies are exhausted, we have not yielded any success as a result of our effort. Those are certainly achievements, church, that we can all identify with. Nights where our efforts seemed fruitless or where nothing we did seemed to work out right or where there wasn't anyone who could give us consolation for whatever was happening in our lives that was bigger than we were. And even for some of us, the Lord Jesus Christ was Lord of our life, making those nights even longer and the enemy's attacks on us even more desperate and devastating. But let's look at what makes these guys different from how we often approach the long night phenomenon in our life. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. I want to read the second half to you. Peter has an above average answer for Jesus' request. In verse 5, the Bible says, but because you say so. This is Peter's response to Jesus. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Let's look at this request by the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing he says to them is pull out a little farther into deeper water. A couple of things that I've learned about fishing in relationship to Jesus' request here is that his request is all wrong based on common logical sense. The first thing that's wrong is his timing. 
This was likely sometime around midday, which would be the worst time to go fishing. Fish are much more likely to be caught late in the evening or early in the morning. How do I know that? Because that's usually when I get calls from people to come fishing when I'm still in bed or when I'm getting ready to go to bed. But people in Louisiana do that kind of stuff at weird hours. (laughs) Not only was the timing wrong, the terrain was wrong. Jesus asked Peter to go out into deep water where they would likely not have been able to catch fish. Shallower waters in terms of fishing are usually more optimal. And the third thing that was wrong with Jesus' request is his is the fact that the people he's petitioning to go out again and put their nets in again and expend a little bit additional effort are tired. They've already worked all night. They didn't just work, they worked hard. And their job didn't end when they came in from from the water. They start cleaning their nets and mulling over their next night and planning for their day. And now Jesus says, hey, let's go back out. Matter of fact, pull me out into that deep water. And don't just pull me out in the deep water, but cast your nets overboard. And Simon, which is so significant to this story and to our lives, says something profound. Because you say so. Because... You say so. Friends, there's some things that God tells us in his word. He says, don't be anxious. In Galatians 6, 9, he says, don't give up. Don't be weary in well-doing. Jesus tells us to go the second mile and to turn the other cheek and to forgive. And some of us in our lives are exhausted. We've spent night after night in isolation or fear or concern or anxiety or frustration. And Jesus is telling us in his word, don't be anxious. Don't be frustrated. Don't get weary in well-doing. Don't base what you do on this world. Base what you do on me. And some of us in our own minds are thinking, because we say so, we're not interested. And if we would just shift our thinking, Lord, because you say so, I'll push forward. God, because you've given me power, I'll keep moving. God, in you I know my strength is, is nothing, but in you, I, in myself I know my strength is nothing, but in you I know my weakness is made strong. I'll keep going, I'll keep pushing, I'll keep fighting, I'll keep moving forward. Lord, because you say so, I have faith and I'll follow you and I know where you guide, Lord. You will provide because you say so, I'll go. I wrote, I wrote you a poem about this. I thought, man, what's a way to really sink this idea in? I thought, a really bad poem would really go a long way in helping these guys remember this. Lord, because you say so, we don't have to be tired. Even in the darkest of times, we can be inspired. When the enemy convinces us we have failed, if we turn our face to you, God, we'll see you've already prevailed. And when, our li- and when in our lives we feel alone, because you say so, Lord, we go to your Father's throne. And beaten and broken and feeling scared, in your hands, Lord, we find that we're repaired. Through you, Heavenly Father, the battle is already won. Victory through you, the Spirit, and your Son. There's nothing in your life, friends, That the Lord Jesus cannot just completely transform. One minister says, God is completely over everything about to take you under. 
But your attitude has to shift from because I think so to, Lord, because you said so. Ultimately, that's what Peter's recognition is, that Jesus is Lord and that next to a sovereign, perfect God, that he is a sinful man. It's not enough just for us to say, Lord, because you said so, I'm going to go. But the power of God manifested in our lives should cause us to see the reflection pointed back at us in the mirror and to accurately assess who it is really that we are. And the truth is, friend, you're a sinner just like me. And you need a Savior just like I do. And we're just as ordinary and prideful and powerless and problematic as the apostles were. But through God, all things in us are possible. Skipping into verse 9 now, talking uh, about their above average assignment. You've seen the above average answer of Peter. Lord, because you say so, even though I'm tired, even though I'm fatigued, even though I feel hopeless at this moment, because you say so, I'll go. And when we go and God's power is made real in our life, Peter recognizes like we should that we're sinful and aside from him we can do nothing. So Jesus gives them an assignment. In verse 9, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. The first thing Jesus gives them is a command. And the command is do not fear. This is the same command Paul gives Timothy, saying, The Spirit of God has not come to make us fearful, but to give us power, love, and self-discipline. For somebody under the sound of my voice, there's that thing. I don't know what it is, but it's that thing that causes you to live a long night. That thing that compels you to think your way is better than answering Jesus because you say so. That one thing that's like a thorn in your flesh that seems bigger than you, more powerful than you, and to have more stamina than you, that would cause anybody, if they knew your situation well enough, it would cause anybody to feel a measure of fear about that thing. But Jesus' command to Peter is his same command to you and I today. About that thing, have no fear. Because God's with you, even if your valley is as deep and dark as the shadow of death itself. Don't fear. Because God is with you. The second thing that Jesus does is he commissions them. No longer are you going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. For these guys, that's not a change in occupation as much as it's a change in outlook. It's not as much of a change in occupation as as much as it's a change in outlook. In other words, to get on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ, these guys can still fish from time to time. They can act out the trade that they know and still be about the business of the father and sometimes i think we got to have big training or big ministry opportunities or be thousands and thousands of miles away from home but it's not a change in occupation as much as much as it's a change in outlook start to see the people in your life a little bit differently and as though they really depend on you to point them to a savior and i think a step deeper here Is that problem that you're up against, whatever it is that makes your nights long and your days drag on, 
Sometimes not even that needs to change as much as your outlook about that thing needs to change. And when you assimilate the mind of Christ and you realize that he's sovereign Lord over all and that he is with you and that he is for you and that he will give you courage and strength to overcome whatever that is in his time, it doesn't mean that problems automatically vanish. But your outlook related to those issues shifts. That's certainly what happens to Peter in this moment. How do I know that? Because of his second response. What do he and his friends do as a result of Jesus' command and commission? They leave everything. They leave everything. They leave their livelihood. They leave their routine. They leave their comfort zone. They leave the life they have known. And they're totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ with a because you say so, Lord. If you're going to say we're fishing for men, then we're going to leave everything and we are going to go fish for men. If you say pull out into the deep water and drop our nets again, we're going to pull out to deep water and we're going to drop our nets again. Lord, we'll follow you. We will obey you. We will allow you to lead us and allow you to be our guide. We will leave everything and follow you. And the reason the power of God has not manifested itself in your life is because you don't have a leave everything attitude. We want to be because I say so disciples, but we don't have a leave everything disposition. And it's not until the only thing that matters in your life The most important thing in your life, your focal point, your axis, your everything is the Lord Jesus Christ, that the power of God is manifest in your life. And if you ask any of these guys when you get to heaven, what made the difference? You were ordinary. And and then when they're like, man, I was anything but ordinary. Let me tell you about me. You can say, well, at least our preacher said you were ordinary guys. I mean, you were a fisherman. That's like as ordinary as Chad Johnson. Yeah, that's like really ordinary. You know what I think they'd say? I think they'd say it's because we left, we were willing to leave everything and do whatever the Lord said just because he says it. Right here in God's word, friend, God is telling you how to get through your problem. You know what the answer already is. You're just not willing to leave everything and go because Jesus said so. My challenge to you this morning is to get after it, is to leave everything, fully surrender, and become a because-you-said-so disciple through your leave-everything disposition. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you so much for this great uh, church family and for your word and, and most of all for Jesus. God, help us to be a because-you-said-so church. Where we don't have to know the answer and it doesn't have to make sense and it certainly doesn't have to be easy. But we're willing to do it because you said so. And what that means authentically is that we leave nothing back. We hold nothing back. We keep nothing from you. There's nothing off the table in what we aren't willing to surrender to be a because you said so disciple. Let that be our disposition, a leave everything disposition. God, I ask that all who are under the sound of my voice with the need would be ministered to and that we would carry this lesson outside these doors into our families and community and world. In Jesus' name, amen.